Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, L Stanger. Find me on lstanger.com. And I do have a behind the scenes uh, journal, and I hate the word blog, but find it on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. This is the Cis Men's Issues episode with Cam Fraser. Hello, Cam. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. So, Cam, besides having a delightful accent, <laughs> Uh, is a certified professional sex coach. He is a certified sexologist. He's a registered counselor and a registered tantric yoga teacher. So Cam, your work integrates scientifically validated, medically accurate info about sexual health, and you are informed with and by sacred sexuality teachings. Um, so as a coach, you specifically help men and I'm going to wager mostly cis men. Yeah, mostly cis het men as well. All right. All right. So go beyond surface level sex and into full bodied, self-expressed, pleasure oriented sexual experiences, hopefully free of anxiety or shame. That's the goal, right? That is the goal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Cam can be contacted. His social media is at the Cam Fraser and email is cam at cam Fraser.com. I was really pleased when I stumbled across your videos because as a femme slash female person myself, there's a lot of women and there's a lot of cis women and then there's a lot of like trans mask or femme people, but there's not that many cis men providers speaking on sexuality and that is a large part of the population also. Yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're, I've I've come across a few in my time, um, and you know the the ones that have, I suppose, gained some notoriety have unfortunately gained some notoriety for the wrong reasons, um, for maybe crossing boundaries or for being inappropriate and things like that. So, um, so it's yeah. This is, so some of the guys that get into this space and the sexuality work are. I think in it for the wrong reasons. Um, I don't want to mm. kind of cast a judgment, but I've definitely noticed that. Um, and so, mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, it, it's, and, I, and you're right. It is, it's a massive demographic of the population, right? Is kind of cishet mm -hmm. white dudes, my demographic. And so mm -hmm. I kind of say this with as much compassion as possible, but that's the kind of demographic that needs this work the most. I think, you know, like they're in a pretty privileged and, you know, position and in a position of power for the most part. And so uh, I definitely think it's necessary for, this group of people, my kind of demographic to, to have this work and have mm -hmm. something that's kind of tailored specifically to them. Mm -hmm. Oh, and can I say on an old, old, old podcast, I had several podcasts ago, nobody please look this up. I, so I hosted a couple of different, um, dom, like male, like identified dom, dominant, dominant partners that, um, some of them taught classes and like consent and stuff and they were well like known. Mm. And then I found out they both had like serious um, boundary and consent violations and like multiple people who identified as victims with like consistent stuff was coming up where I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, this isn't hearsay. I have to take these episodes down. And I'm like, yeah. what are the fucking odds? You know, yeah, I've, I've had to take a couple of episodes down as well because I've interviewed men <sighs> who it's come out that they've had. Yes, yeah, so a lot of allegations, very credible allegations against them. So it's, um, yeah, it's been very, yeah, it's just an interesting mm -hmm. space to navigate being a guy in this work. I know that someone somewhere will be like, Elle did an entire episode on cis men's issues. And it's like, yeah, they are a major part of the population. And it's an androcentric culture that you and I both live in. You're in Australia. Mm. 
Yeah. I'm in America. I originally was writing this episode for like American men. And then I was like, oh, shit, we have global listeners. So let's talk about <laughs> cis men's issues. But I think a lot of them are going to intersect. So we'll find out. I think so. Yeah. And and I've I've had that kind of comment to me a couple of times when I've been on other podcasts, we've spoken about kind of cis men's issues. It's kind of like, who cares is the kind of comment. Like, why, like, why are we doing um, this? The why women who fuck them it? and the yeah. men who fuck them. <laughs> You know, and get fucked by them. Yeah, it's and and it's like my lived experience as well. So I think it's yeah. So I I I, I yeah. kind of get where that comment is coming from. Like I get the mentality behind it, but it's also like it's we need to talk about it. It's necessary. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm comfortable with being controversial. If you are, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so we kind of touched on what got you into the work that you do, Cam. Do you have like a intro story? Yeah, I do. I do have an intro story and it's it's quite long, so I'm, I'm going to condense it as much as possible. But um, essentially, it's uh, my my work and the work that I do today is really informed by my own lived experiences. And and that starts with a, uh, I actually left home when I was 17 here in Australia and moved to hmm. America. I went to college over in America. And um, the first college I went to was in a place called Mount Vernon in Georgia, of all places. So um, the, I south. Was, the south, it was the deep south. It was very uh, well, I mean, the school that I went to was, uh, it was a Baptist school. Uh, it was unapologetically Baptist actually, as the tagline mm. stated. And so it was very oh, I'm uncomfortable already. Yeah. So it was very, um, conservative and fundamentalist, I suppose. And, um, and so I, I was in that, that community for a couple of years and I, I was studying psychology. I went to university to study psychology and, you know, going over to, um, America as well as an Australian. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, Americans send, seem to love Australians. Um, so I was very welcomed <laughs> over in America. I was, I was very re- well received. And um, I, I really, I laugh because I'm like, I feel like that's right. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Americans view Australians as like the more irreverent versions of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, it was like, it was very, uh, it was very fun. Like I had a lot of fun. And, and when I say that, I mean, like I had a lot of casual sex, I suppose. Um, but the sex <laughs> I was having was very shit um, because I was in a, I was in a very, um, I was not in a very good mental health space myself kind of going over there. I, um, I was relying a lot on alcohol. I was like really playing up the Australian kind of persona of the larrikin drinking kind of Australian. Um, so I was relying heavily on alcohol um, as, as part of my personality, really. Um, and I was also, I went over to America to play sports. I was a collegiate athlete. So I was really part of that locker room culture as well. Um, I was a soccer mm-hmm. player. And so I was in these locker rooms, right? The, the, the masculinity that's fostered within these locker rooms is very like, it's very like stereotypical. It's very machismo oriented. It's very bravado oriented. Like it's, it's any conversation about sex is always uh, quantity over quality. Uh, the, mm. the, the catch-all phrase that kind of comes to mind, and I apologize for this crudeness, is "every hole's a Go goal." Um, so that's every like hole's the, a goal. Wow, kind of I actually never heard sex. that one before. Yeah, I think it's. A, yeah. I think that's a uniquely Australian saying, from what I understand. But um, but that's kind of the idea behind like my my late teens and early twenties approach to sex, and I was mm-hmm. it was very performative. Like it was, I was. This is what it meant to be a man, right? I, that was reinforced mm-hmm. and perpetuated by the the young men that I was hanging out with. Um, it mm-hmm. was what I thought was expected of me. Um, it's what the young women that I was having sex with expected of me, um, and it was mm-hmm. uh, and and it, and it, it was fueled by alcohol as well. And so there was plenty of times where I was experiencing 
kind of you know sexual dysfunction because of the alcohol that I was drinking, because of the way that I was approaching sex. There's a lot of performance anxiety. There's a lot of alcohol-induced impotence. There was a lot of premature ejaculation because I was so stressed out and tense and tight in my mm-hmm. body. Um, and you know, the thing that shook all that up for me, the thing that kind of really opened up that can of worms for me to process and work on it and change and transform my life really was I actually fractured my spine, I actually injured my lower back. And huh. I was um and, and so I was I was introduced to like you know clinical rehabilitation for that. And so part of my clinical rehab was to do Pilates. And from mm-hmm. Pilates I was introduced to yoga and from yoga I was introduced to like meditation and breath work and then spirituality kind of in general. And mm-hmm. it was you know, for the first time in my life, in my early 20s, I think I was 21 at the time when I had to do this rehabilitation, I, I'd listened to my body. You know, For the first time, I'd slowed down and actually paid attention to what I was feeling. Not only what well, kind of started off what I was feeling physically, like I was sore and I was tense and I was tight and I was holding that in my muscles and, and in my nervous system. And so I paid attention to that for the first time and through the modalities of yoga and Pilates and whatever, I was starting to release that tension and tightness somatically. And mm-hmm. There was times halfway through a Pilates class that I would just burst out into tears or you know, mm, doing mm-hmm. a yoga posture. I was trying to hold this pose. I couldn't do it because my back was sore. I would just like all this rage would come up and it was just disproportionate. This frustration that I had was just disproportionately um, manifested in this rage that, that came through. Mm. And so all these emotions that I was holding on to that I hadn't let myself feel um, mm-hmm. because that's not what you do as a young man, I started you know, experiencing them, you know, involuntarily, they started coming through because I was doing these kind of body works um, modalities. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I went modalities and that probably, pardon to interrupt you, I will do no, that a lot. Um, part and these modalities are not what was probably taught to you in your like so called like masculine spheres, correct? Not at all. No, I was, I was, um, belittled and bullied by my mates for going to yoga and pilates like, yeah that's gacious like yeah that's it's, yeah exactly right? yeah. i mean like that's yeah. you know that's the kind of stuff we hear for anyone who's never heard stuff like that but like oh that's gay and that's stuff i grew up saying because also like a byproduct of the culture something you said earlier about your peers expected uh certain behaviors of you and then the women you dated expected those behaviors of you and i so understand that because it sucks being um, a woman or a female person who dates men who are like, oh, wow, this is unhealthy and I don't understand why. But then women will engage in things like small dick shaming or like erectile dysfunction shaming, you mm-hmm. know, or using jealousy to trigger like maybe attention. Um, like so unhealthy behaviors that can really reinforce like the toxic behaviors we complain about. Totally. I mean, we all have the same stories about masculinity because we all live in the same society, right? And we aren't getting uh, siphoned off into little pockets and being told separate things. We all get the same messages about masculinity. And so we all perpetuate those same stories. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so like for me to challenge those really was through talk therapy, was through counseling and psychology. And, and for the first time, I was able to like start unwrapping and, and kind of unpacking those stories that I had about what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a sexual man, um, what it meant to perform. Like it started to, I started to challenge a lot of that. And so, um, that was Mm. a, it didn't just happen overnight. It was a a whole kind of process, but I, I started like in the most, uh, I suppose like compassionate way possible. I stopped giving a fuck what other people thought about me, particularly men. I stopped caring what my mates thought about me, um, and what they, you know, what they deemed my masculinity was and started just trying to be as authentic and vulnerable and, you know, as possible, I suppose. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I started like 
if if someone said some bullshit in the locker room, I would I would talk up you know about it and and kind of challenge them on it and. Uh, and I started like being a bit more comfortable in my own skin. So when I was having sex, instead of trying to kind of perform and be this kind of man that I thought was expected of me, I started to drop that veneer a little bit and, and ask my partner what it is that she liked and actually start to pay attention to whether she mm-hmm. was into it or not and actually be a bit more pleasure focused as opposed to performance oriented. Uh, and Right. And- like following these scripts in your head, like I should flip her over now. You yeah, know, yeah, exactly. So like, instead pull of pull her hair because I saw that somewhere, yeah, right. Instead of following that like very normative uh, script of, of sexuality, I started to challenge that, and um, and you know, I stopped drinking as well. I I, well, I, I stopped drinking for a little while. I cut my drinking back um, today, but it's just congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it, it was just mm-hmm. like this whole um, can of worms had just opened up, and I was like, wow, there's so much that I was just holding on to that I thought was what it meant to be a man when really none of that really fucking matters. And um, <laughs> how old are you now? Just, I'm 28 now. So um, it was kind of okay. like the last seven years, I suppose, because I, I, 21 is when that all happened and and the, the whole facade kind of came off. And so I've been on this, yeah, seven-year seven year journey. Um, and it was, it was you know, part of that as well was like studying psychology and then going and doing a, a postgraduate degree in sexology, the study of human sexuality. And then also did some counseling. I did a counseling degree. Um, and then I, I went and studied yoga and became a yoga teacher, specializing in um, you know, tantric yoga. And so all <laughs> of that helped my journey as well. You're industrious. Yeah, it was, <laughs> you're so I was really, industrious. really interested in like sexuality holistically rather than it just being like scientific um, and like the talk therapy side of things. Like, there was a lot of like yoga and Pilates really helped me. And so I was like, well, why can't we bring those modalities, those bodywork modalities into like the work of, of sexuality? And so I was really interested in that kind of overlap between those two and sex coaching really mm-hmm. is... Um, that sweet spot for me, at least anyway. Um, and so that's, that's why I get into to this particular work and, and why I specialize in working with, you know, cishet men is because I'm a cishet man and, and that's, uh, what I can speak into with some authority because it's my lived experience. And, um, mm-hmm. and so the stuff that I talk about today is really the stuff that I wish I'd heard 10 years ago, uh, when I was like 18, mm-hmm. 19, the stuff that I wish, um, mm-hmm. someone had told me. You know what? That's exactly why I'm here and I do this stuff too. I'm like, I just had like a lot of rough like learning experiences that I would like some people to avoid. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So let's see. So sex coach, sexologist, counselor, tantric yoga teacher. Um, you're quite industrious. And um, I am definitely an alcoholic. And I like to say that I do so many things because I need to put this energy somewhere. And if I'm not drinking, I have to like do things. So I think there's something to some of us just have a lot of energy to burn. And it can be useful (laughs) to like follow our passions, you know, and it seems like you followed yours. So yeah, thanks. I wanted to ask you, you, oh, you're welcome. Thank you for your work. What are some of the commonly asked questions? Because uh, I bet some themes come up regularly for you as they do with me and, and my clients and followers. A lot of you have asked me where I went to school or got training to be a sex educator. The answer is ICE, Institute for Sex Education and Enlightenment. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, then try their new program called SWEET sexual wellness education and enlightenment training it's about half the price of their regular program and it's for people who don't need to be licensed by asect but have the interest or want to add fullness to their personal or professional lives or careers you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand you can do it from anywhere in the world if you have weird hours like me then maybe you want to do class at 3 a.m 
You can even take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. So go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on their on-demand programs where you can check out their other classes too. Yeah, for sure. So um, some questions that I often get are things like um, surface level questions, kind of like, how do I last longer? Um, how do I get and maintain an erection? Like we've got some erection issues. I've got some premature ejaculation issues. Um, I've got a low libido, so low, low kind of desire and sex drive. Uh, or mm -hmm. like the sex I'm having with my partner it just feels disconnected and it feels crappy and like what can I do about it? So very like I would say entry level questions, I suppose, like very function, mm -hmm. function oriented questions. Like how do I do this? And they're looking for kind of skills and strategies and techniques. And when I scratch at the surface of those questions, the commonality behind a lot of them is a particular mentality uh, towards sex and sexuality and pleasure, which is that performance script that, you know, it you need to have an erection, that you need to last a certain amount of time, that you need to give your partner a certain amount of orgasms and that sex has to look a certain way. It's very performance oriented when it comes mm -hmm. to sex, as opposed to focusing on like, what pleasure can I feel? And can I feel pleasure even if I don't have an erect penis? Can I feel pleasure even if I don't ejaculate? Or if I do ejaculate before I'm ready, can I still continue to feel pleasure with my partner afterwards? And so um, and so the, the commonality behind a lot of this is, is like the, is the approach, the approach to sex that people have. Um, and so that's, that's usually where I, I take my, my clients in particular is like past that kind of surface level question of the function to like, okay, how are you actually approaching sex? Because you, mm -hmm. it, your sex won't change. If you, if I just give you a couple of strategies to last longer, yeah, you oh, last yeah. longer, but the sex that you're having is still going to be the same. Essentially, if if that doesn't if that doesn't change, then it's not going to be it's not going to revolutionize how you relate to your own sexuality, how you relate to your partner's pleasure. Like it's just going to be you're just going to be doing the same thing. Yeah, the stuff you brought up, like lasting longer, erectile challenges, libido issues, or like feeling disconnected. Um, I feel like a lot of it relates to anxiety stuff, right? Yeah. Like, what should I be doing? What will happen? And it's like, slow down. This is now. The time is now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as someone who fucks men, um, I find a lot of my, and my listeners know this, I find a lot of the time I am helping them to slow down and center. Mm. And it it's very healing and beautiful for both of us. Um, and I only have this because I am a prolific fucker and that's another nice way of saying slut, but <laughs> like, you know, like I am proud of, of what I can teach verbally and non-verbally. And I see the same similar issues. I've had a lot of partners. We were very attracted to each other and we ended up having long relationships or like ones that, you know, exist as friendships. We care, trust each other, but like had erectile issues in the beginning, mostly due to anxiety. Yeah. And yeah. once I got them to, you know, like kiss me, like once I realized, and my ex, one of my second ex-husband used to call me the boner killer <clears throat> lovingly because I'd go out on polyamorous date. I'd come back and he's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, well, they had a tough time. It was very common. All mm. of my, almost, almost every man I've ever fucked the first or second time, first three times had a difficult time maintaining an erection. 
And it was because they were nervous because they were like, oh, my God, I'm fucking L. She's had a lot of sex. I have to impress her. But when it's like kiss me or like touch me here and you get them to focus on maybe something else besides their penis, that's when I feel like people relax and then kind of just come into themselves. Yeah, I 100% agree with um, what you've just shared. And and like because if we're <laughs> focusing on performance, like the the um, – the reason why you know performance is what it is is because we start to compete, right? We start to compare and compete against other potential lovers or other mm. potential sexual partners, and we start to we start to measure ourselves against how long they're potentially lasting, or how big their penis is, or how much, like I've had guys ask me about uh, increasing the quantity of their ejaculates because they want Ugh. to 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 beat someone, right? That's the nature of performance. Ah! Is, is to, to I have never, I have never been like, damn, I wish he had more cum. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's, that's the mentality that guys have, right? It's very performance, right? And so the, um, and so the, and so you're right. Anxiety is, is the kind of root of that because they're anxious about whether they're less than they're anxious about whether they're not enough or they're not man enough. Um, and that's a really big, mm-hmm. um, kind of problem for men Ooh. in general, I suppose. If I don't get if my if I'm not wet quickly, I I notice how that has made other men anxious mm. because they feel that maybe they're not doing something like right if I'm not wet. And sometimes like I'm just dehydrated. It takes me a while. Um, so it's really it's it's not discouraging, but I, I, I will like I'll be enjoying something they're doing and then they go to touch my genitals and they're not wet. And I feel like they'll start to switch gears like, oh, maybe I should do something else. And I'm like, no, no, no keep doing what you're doing <laughs> like yeah, yeah totally. that's where communication comes in from both sides oh 100 and, and it, i think it's because like there's this very strong narrative that we have for maybe for you know, in the mainstream that people haven't challenged which is that men are the doers of sex they do sex mm. to their female partners right if we're talking about that cishet context and so mm-hmm. like a lot of guys then feel like it's their kind of job or responsibility to like do sex and do orgasms to their partner like they give their partner orgasms like they're giving them a christmas present they kind of like this and it, so that strips the agency of of women right in those contexts um and and that's why guys don't ask right because they're supposed to know how to do sex to their partner um they're the and that's why women don't ask because they've been raised to think their partner should just know yes exactly right so that's another example of like people in general having these same stories about masculinity and sexuality and so um mm-hmm. that's why there's a lot of shit sex out there right because we we aren't really encouraged <laughs> to challenge those stories unless we come across podcasts like this uh you know why americans love australians you have the best slang um <laughs> Also, you said garage band before we started. So I was like, <laughs> you say it again. That. Yeah, garage band. Yeah. Did, no, you did it the other way now. <laughs> um, okay. So what is some of the feedback you receive from your clients? Uh, right. So um, the the clients that I work with, so as I said uh, before, predominantly cishet guys. And um, the feedback that I usually receive from them is like a um, sense of relief and a sense of freedom, mm. I suppose. There's this... Um, a lot of the a lot of the stories that they come to me with are uh, again about their anxious stories about like am I is there something wrong with me am I not normal am I wrong for wanting this or is there something wrong with me because I am into this particular thing or I have this mm-hmm. desire for this thing and so there's a lot of uh, like there's a big sense of relief for a lot of these guys of like oh my god like this is normal this is common mm-hmm. I'm totally fine like this is okay to explore. And, and a big mm-hmm. part of my work is is normalizing and, and almost giving permission to a lot of these guys to actually go, mm. you can do that. You can explore your ass. You can have, you know, 
fun with mm-hmm. this particular person who you know doesn't fit this conventional thing that you're supposed to be attracted to like this it's totally fine and, and sexuality is this big beautiful broad kind of spectrum of, of experiences and so there's this sense of freedom that that is um communicated back to me from from these men and part of that is like their relationship to their own sexuality it's their relationship to their body the relationship to their cock as well i get i get a lot of men that i work with mm. to write letters to their cock and to um oh wow you know to, to like kind of explore their relationship with their cock have they taken it for granted have they been frustrated at it have there been times that they wanted to celebrate with their cock like what's their relationship with their cock mm-hmm. have you just have tried they been to punished for it yeah exactly have you just tried mm-hmm. to take from it instead of giving anything back to it like is it a one-sided relationship and so part of the yeah part of the feedback that i get as well as like these men relating to their body and their sexuality in in a new and more healthy, holistic, beneficial way. Mm, it reminds me of when I talk to myself in the mirror and I'm like, you know, you've been real, you've been real, I've been real rough on you and I'm sorry and I'm going to give you more sleep. Mm. <laughs> and it can be really eye-opening. Sometimes I cry. So folks, try that. Write a letter to your genitals or talk to yourself in the mirror maybe. Let us know how you like it. Um, you can always give us feedback, give me feedback at they talk sex at protonmail.com. And Cam, you can email Cam at Cam Fraser.com. Before we take a break, so I asked uh folks on social media, Instagram at stripper writer until they kicked me off. <laughs> and I said, All right, folks, American men's issues, what are they? All genders, please respond. And then I was like, wait, not just American men. So then I also asked on a different day, what do you believe are some men's issues? So I'll read you react. Sure, let's do it. Uh, Entitlement. Uh, The pressure to be masculine, in quotes. Mm -hmm. Toxic masculinity. Vulnerability asking for help or support like maybe you people don't like to do it yeah uh someone has a complaint they said men will fuck people they don't even like just to nut Ooh, that sounds like that was their experience that's every hole's a goal that's that mentality again that i was talking about oh there you go yep men revolve sex around their pleasures and it ends at their orgasm yeah i've got a lot to say on that but yeah we can circle back <laughs> um and Unwillingness to acknowledge their pain, Mm. which can lead to higher risk of diseases and death. Um, Oh, I can, I mean, I can, I can reflect on how my now deceased partner, like his suicide was ultimately his inability um, to be able to access resources like for therapy and healing, physical, Mm. emotional. Uh, Someone else says men with sexual trauma from childhood that they often don't know how to navigate or talk about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. It's yeah. a lot more common than we, we like to think. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even go out on a, a, a stretch more and say that I feel like male victims are less supported than female victims mm. uh, yeah. in, in terms of sexual assault often. Uh, and women aren't often taken seriously at all. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty rough all yeah. around. Someone says an example of men's issues is men who get married and then treat their home life like a burden. Mm. Mm, yep complaining about their wife like oh my wife and being married then why did you do it (laughs) yeah there's a great book by um an author called jane ward called the tragedy of heterosexuality which is exactly about that oh going there uh someone says people don't take men's mental health seriously um 
Toxic masculinity can manifest in loneliness and feelings of alienation. Mm. Someone says, having shitty things praised and good things tabooed. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, machismo type ideas is why my body count is high. Mm. Uh, seeing more of this. Some men have trouble being open and emotional. Um, oh, this is different. Someone says, the child we- welfare systems do not take us seriously or as custodial resources. Mm, yeah, okay. Um. Let's do a couple more of these. Mm-hmm. It is socially okay for women to have crushes, but men have to feel like they, men have to hide theirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a a big thing about sexualizing male relationships. Um, I've noticed some some guys feel like they can't express their friendship in whatever way they want to express it, out of the fear that it'll be labeled homosexual or to be labeled whatever um and so there's a lot of fear about men kind of opening up with with other men um and that's Mm -hmm. rooted in internalized homophobia and sometimes not so internalized unfortunately um so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a big one someone else says pressure to not show their emotions well Mm. some emotions anger anger is often encouraged actually yeah there's a few socially sanctioned emotions and um and there's also socially sanctioned times to express emotions like sadness right like at the end of a sporting Mm. event that you've just lost (laughs) yeah maybe if someone dies maybe maybe a tear or two maybe maybe uh all right so we definitely just went through a lot let's we're gonna take a break everyone go shake off that extra adrenaline uh i think this is gonna be a very helpful episode to men and the people who love and fuck them or want to love and fuck them (laughs) so we'll be right back Hey, if you have a sensitive vulva, don't be ashamed. So do I. I love using the salve by Momotaro Apotheca. That's M-O-M-O-T-A-R-O, apotheca.com. Check out their sister company, Oshihana.com for some CBD-related products. And I'm not the only one. I asked folks what they thought. Someone says, I love the salve for everything after shaving, after sex, if I feel a little off down there after anal. Someone else says, the salve is a personal favorite. I'm currently pregnant and use it for perennial massage. So that's great to hear. Use code STRIPPERWRITER. Hey, that's me on momotaroapotheca.com or oshihana.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. You can find behind the scenes stuff, patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You can find old writings and even some of my porn. Yep, I make porn sometimes on lstanger.com. Our guest today is Cam Fraser. He is in Australia. He is here to speak with us on the cis men's issues of the world. Um, Cam is a certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist, registered counselor, and registered tantric yoga teacher. So we were talking about men and sex, and you said there was something, there was a difference you wanted to touch on about pleasure and gratification. What was that? Yeah. So I think the comment was um, men only focus on their pleasure during sex. And I wanted to just offer up a, a distinction here because I don't entirely necessarily disagree with that statement, but I think men focus a lot on their own gratification during sex, not on their own pleasure. 
And mm. by way of example, mm-hmm. I want to I want to talk about like the locker room, right? So I've been a man in these locker rooms before. I can kind of attest to this type of language. But when men talk about sex with one another, the way that it's talked about is gratification oriented. So the you'll never, I don't want to say never, but you'll very rarely hear men talk about sex with other men in terms of like, oh, I you know, had all this incredible orgasmic experience. Like I had this pleasure in my body. Like I felt my heart open up. It was, you know, incredibly deep and intimate. Like guys don't mm. talk like that when they talk about sex. It's not very pleasure oriented. It's gratification oriented. They'll talk about how long they lasted. They talk about so how hard. It, 100% I've heard that word for word. Man, I busted the uh, biggest huh. nut. And, and so like, that's the, that's the yeah. way that it's talked about. It's, it's, you know, it's gratification oriented. So men are very good at, so at gratifying themselves. Back, yeah. yeah, totally. And so they're, yeah. they're very good at focusing on their gratification. I, I concede that, but they're not very good at focusing mm-hmm. on their own pleasure because a lot of men actually have a fear of pleasure of deep, sensual, vulnerable, intimate pleasure. Men aren't very good at experiencing <laughs> that, but they're very good at experiencing gratifications. I just wanted to-, to Yeah, pleasure's that. gay. Don't you know that? We're yes. Yeah, one, yeah, that, again, exactly again, right. yeah. it's too foo-foo. Like what a world. This is so confusing. I feel like it is the most secure, um, strongest, toughest people who are emotionally vulnerable because that can be vulnerable and scary. Mm. Those are the people that are secure enough to be like, Oh, so nice. Like we just really like our heartbeat synced and we just felt really connected and it was a really good experience. Like, oh, what a faggot, you know? Yeah, I Pardon still get that. Language. I still get that as a as a educator as well. If I'm talking about, you know, how to <laughs> have better married? sex with women, I am. Yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm not married. I'm, I mean, I'm, not that not that many <laughs> not we, that lots of people aren't closeted married. We uh yeah, we like, had our, our wedding was uh interrupted by COVID. But yes, I've got a partner and um Aww. and and the um yeah, and the and the the conversations that I have are about how to have better sex with women. And then I get guys going, that's so gay, bro. Like, what, <laughs> ha, like how is your, your logic is just so ridiculously warped guys, by homophobia. It, it's crazy. Fellas, is it gay to learn? <laughs> yeah. Fellas, is it gay to have better sex with women? Like what, what are you doing? Like, so ridiculous. Oh, fabulous. Okay. So thank you for pointing out that distinction. I'm going to remember that. And I'm thinking about like male clients. So I'll just, uh, I mean, keep it like R rated and like strip club clients, like a lot of them are very anxious or grabby or like squeezy or it's like slow down. You can't even feel what's happening because you're just all over the place. Why are you pulling on my nipples? That doesn't feel good to me. It can't Mm. feel like much to you. Like they're not feeling a whole lot and it really seems like they're trying to get to a point. They're not even supposed to ejaculate anyway. And thankfully hardly anyone ever has. Mm. (laughs) Usually I can reel it back if I think it's getting to that point, but very much a difference between pleasure and gratification. Yeah. And I do 100% want to just back you up on the idea of slowing Mm -hmm. things down. Like that is foundational in the work that I do with men is just teaching them how to slow the fuck down. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's do some listener questions. All right, listener question one. Can anyone with a prostate have a prostate orgasm? So by prostate orgasm, do they probably mean where you feel it most in your prostate or by like prostate stimulation, do you think? Uh, I'm assuming they mean by like via prostate stimulation because a prostate orgasm is different to a uh, and maybe an ejaculatory orgasm. And it's different because of the way that the nervous system is innovated. So just like a brief little education piece on, you know, the way Please. the nervous system works is, um, so as people that, that, um, have po- prostates and penises, um, they, uh, have, 
essentially three nerves that they can have an orgasm through. One is called the pedendal nerve, which is what is connected to the penis and is responsible for like the ejaculatory reflex. The pedendal is like th- that area of the body in between the genitals and the anus, the perineum. Uh, there's also the pelvic nerve as well, which is uh, kind of runs across the inside of the pelvis towards the hips. Uh, and then there's also the hypergastric nerve and the hypergastric nerve is what innovates the prostate. And so when we stimulate uh, the penis for the most part, we end up having uh, an orgasm through the pedendal nerve, right? That part of the nervous system. When we stimulate mm-hmm. the prostate, we end up having uh, an orgasm through a different nerve called the hypergastric nerve. And the the thing to note about these nerves is that the pedendal nerve is only connected to the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight response, your survival response. And the hypergastric mm-hmm. nerve carries a lot more parasympathetic fibers, which means it's more connected to the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system, which is your rest and digest response, your relaxation response, your kind of meditation response, I suppose. And so mm-hmm. in and, and it kind of like makes sense anatomically, physiologically as well, because if you're stimulating the prostate, for the most part, you're probably going to be doing it via anal penetration and if you're sticking something up your ass you're going to have to be pretty relaxed in order to fit for it to feel good and so mm-hmm. you want to be in your parasympathetic nervous system in order to experience a, a, a prostate orgasm uh, and hmm. the difference then you know because you're engaging two different parts of your autonomic nervous system is a prostate orgasm can feel a lot more full-bodied and a lot more diffuse and a lot more spread out across your body because the Mm. parasympathetic nervous system innervates more of the body as opposed to an ejaculatory orgasm, which is just through that pedendal nerve, like I was talking about, which is a sympathetic response, which is, if we look at the sympathetic nervous system, it's it's a lot more narrow in terms of the the areas of the body that it innovates because it only goes to your survival areas and so Hmm. that's why people that talk about (laughs) prostate orgasms talk about like how much more intense they feel it's because they feel them a Hmm. lot more through their body um and that's uh, and so that's the, the little education piece i wanted to throw in there all i can think about is that meme about like god putting the g spot in men's butts (laughs) <laughs> that, and, and that's, he really that's did. And I guess to, to to speak into that question, can anyone with a prostate have an, a prostate orgasm? Like I'm hesitant to say, yes, every mm-hmm. single person can, because I don't think we exist in universalities like that. So there might be people Same. who who have, because uh, all of our nervous systems are wired slightly differently, right? Because we're, we're, we're not kind of cookie cutter human beings. So mm-hmm. um, there might be people whose hypergastric nerve doesn't fully innovate their prostate or they might have a um, nervous system condition or they might um, what for whatever reason might not be able to experience the amount of stimulation that they need in order to have an orgasmic experience um, it might still feel pleasurable for them or it might not they might not feel anything at all um, if they've got a prostate so um, I would say the majority of people that have a prostate could have a prostate orgasm if they they learnt um, but I'm hesitant to mm-hmm. say that every single person can Absolutely. Yeah. Same always. Um, and it's such a wide spectrum. Like I, I can use this example. I I asked her permission, but I had a client, um, a consulting client recently and she's in her early sixties and she told me that she thinks she had her second orgasm of her life, like a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And I'm not going to tell her like I had two full body orgasms before we got together this morning, you know, like. Yeah, I, I think that like there's a there's a similar like um, conversation about squirting. I, I often hear like yes. people talk about squirting and how like some 
educators say, oh, everyone, everyone, you know, that's got a vulva can learn how to squirt. I would never say that. Saying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would not, I'd never say that either because I, I think yeah. it's ridiculous to say that every single person can. I, I don't speak like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, so I, I kind of say the same thing here. Yeah, I read a study about, I got to find it again, but it was a cadavers and they were exploring the G-spot and like some of the cadavers didn't have that little cluster of tissue and nerves known as a G-spot. Mm, so yeah, we are to yeah. conclude that not all female bodies, and we know bodies can, you know, appear on the spectrum anyway and intersex people are real. So it makes sense that not all body, bodies come with all parts. I don't have any uh, wisdom teeth. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. And someone's like, oh, they didn't come through yet. No, I had x-rays. They're not in there. So... There you go. So not everyone has wisdom teeth. That's it. Exactly. So listener question two. This is uh, all you. This is mostly you, Cam. Do you have any masturbation or arousal tips for people on SSRIs or any tips with helping to maintain the excitement? And by excitement, I feel like they probably mean engorgement, but that's Mm, not the same. Sure, sure. Um, So this is a big topic and it's also a very under-researched topic as well people that are on ssris and experiencing either sexual dysfunction or low libido or low desire and um you know and and there's there's a whole body of of work i suppose again it's underfunded and under-researched of um what's called uh, post-ssri sexual dysfunction um and there's a lot of forums online um so if you are experiencing this i would firstly encourage you to jump on to an online forum i think there's one called um just the uh, P-S-S-S-D forum. So it's P and three S's and then D forum. Um, they've got a lot of like incredible um, anecdotal kind of reports of people exploring what it's like to have this experience of being on an SSRI and then experiencing sexual dysfunction. Um, so mm, I want to say that, you're, you're, yeah, you're not alone if, you, if you're experiencing that. It's very it's very common for people that are on SSRIs, oh. but it's not really talked about a lot. Um, I see this right here. There is a thread by someone called I Hate Lexapro. And the question is, has anyone here tried Damiana, which is an herb, yep. which is an aphrodisiac you might be familiar with? Uh, I've taken Damiana before. It, it was used as an aphrodisiac for like at least a couple thousand years by South mm. Americans, I believe. Um, it tastes really good and it really just increases your circulation. So it can be really useful. Um, yeah, I used to take yeah. it before I would film porn or do a stripper shift sometimes. Oh, wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. If nothing else, it would put me in a warmer mood. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's like, um, in terms of like maintaining excitement, that second part of the question is like, again, part of it is, is re- rewriting our stories around like what sex is supposed to look like. Like if we're experiencing um, some, if, they, if this person's got a penis and they're experiencing some erection difficulties, like maintaining an erection or the excitement or the engorgement needed for an erection, then, you know, instead of focusing on whether or not there is an erection present, I, I would help them shift towards like, well, even if you've got a flaccid penis, you don't have any less nerve endings in that penis. You can still experience pleasure in a flaccid penis. So can you focus on the pleasure that you're experiencing as opposed to what it actually looks like? Again, it's kind of that shift from performance to to pleasure. And so um, Mm -hmm. maintaining the excitement, I'd be saying focus on the sensations that you can feel. So focus on a sensation of pleasure in your fingertips when you're touching either your body or your partner's body or, um, or, or if you've got a toy in front of you that you like the feel of like the touch of the, the toy, the silicon or the metal or whatever it is that's in your hands, we can, mm-hmm. we can elicit a lot of sensation from our fingers if we pay attention and we slow down and we, we breathe and we um, notice. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would be like one suggestion I have is kind of shift your focus away from what your body is or isn't doing to what I'm actually feeling. What am I noticing in terms of the pleasure in this moment? Um, mm-hmm. 
and then I'd be uh, suggesting other things like if, like again, I'm obviously speaking here with regards to people that have a penis, is mm-hmm. um, like you can you can look at things like uh, cock rings and penis pumps, for example, uh, to mm-hmm. help maintain an erection, to help with that engorgement and that erection um, over a longer period of time, and then that might give you an opportunity then once you've you've kind of like. Uh, manually created this erectional engorgement to then um, use that to to stimulate to to um, perpetuate kind of the self pleasuring that you're doing. Some of the mm-hmm. like one of the hurdles, I suppose, in the way I, I frame kind of tools like this is like you're not becoming reliant on the cock ring and the penis pump, for example. You're using it with the intention or with the purpose of like, okay, now I've got the erection. Now I'm going to go do my self pleasuring. Now I'm going to go do my my exploration of pleasure in my body. Um, but I'm just using this as a way to kind of get there in the first place. I kind of frame mm-hmm. Viagra a little bit the same way as well. A couple of my clients come <laughs> to me and they've, they're kind of using Viagra quite regularly. And I say, look, there's nothing inherently wrong with taking a prescription um, kind of pill for your your erections and your, and your you know, physiological arousal. But let's like, instead of becoming reliant on it, let's use it as a tool. Let's be mindful and aware about how we're using it. And so I, I usually get them to kind of cut the dosage down uh, to maybe half a tablet or a quarter of a tablet. and hmm. Once they've got their erection in the first place, it's like, okay, great. You've got the erection. Now let's go and do the breathing practices we've been working on. Let's go do mm-hmm. the self-exploration practices we've been working on. Now that now that the kind of anxiety of whether or not my penis is going to work has been taken kind of out of it, they can focus more on what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. Um, and that kind of just alleviates a little bit of that pressure, I suppose. And then once they start to do the practices, once they start to realize that they're in control of their arousal, they're in control of their pleasure, they slowly wean themselves off the cock ring or the penis pump or the Viagra, whatever is whatever tool that is that they're using, it's designed to be eventually taken away so they're there in control of their pleasure. That's kind of the way that I frame it. Mm-hmm. A lot of good tips there. Thank you so much. I am such a fan of like, I personally really like silicone lube, um, mostly with my penis partners because um, some people with vaginas can have experience irritation from it. Um, but I think I think it's just like the perfect tool for like if someone's not hard and then I just I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to make it slippery and we're just going to play like I'm just going to rub mm. skins on you and kiss and play with each other's hair and like nibble on fingers and stuff. And like when you're doing all this other body touching, odds are you're you're going to relax. So you may or may not get hard. And some of the best sex I've ever had, there wasn't a hard penis involved anyway. But I love lube is what I'm saying, people. <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't I need lube. That. I get wet. I'm like, well, it's not just your pussy. You put lube on, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to to play around with lube and to to increase like that. And I I get people to explore with different types of lube as well. Like if you're wanting to uh, maybe last a little bit longer, then try using a thicker silicon based lube. And if you're wanting to maybe experience a bit more sensation, then maybe use a thinner water based lube. Like there's so many ways you can explore with lube in different <laughs> kind of capacities. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, texture can be really fun. Uh, okay, great tips. So this is a pivot in a, the other direction. Mm. Uh, listener question three. Do you have any advice for being with an asexual partner? Yeah, okay. So I, I want to preface this by saying asexuality is not something I have a huge familiarity with. Um, mm-hmm. But from what I do understand, um, if your partner is asexual, I guess the first thing to to kind of acknowledge is that their asexuality isn't about you so like Mm. it's it's their sexuality it's not because they don't want to have sex with you it's not because they uh choose 
to be asexual, that's it's it's this, right? It's it's not necessarily about you. So I think, especially because we place so much just in general society importance on like sex, and and also like we tend to place a lot of importance on like especially in a relationship having a lot of sex. When mm. that isn't present in a relationship, the the kind of person who has that story, whoever it might be, is can sometimes, and I've noticed this as well, can sometimes go, okay, this person doesn't love me or doesn't like me or isn't mm. into me because we're not having sex. And I mm. notice this with like to, to kind of tangent here because I'm a new parent is like, you know, my partner and I are having less sex because we've got a new, <laughs> the new, least new, amount of sex, uh, I bet. Yeah, exactly. Ever. Right. So, so, and so this story is popping up of like, oh, like, is my partner still attracted to me? Like, is it, and it's, um, and all these stories kind of get to, mm-hmm. to come to the surface. And so I, I, and again, I, I don't really work with a lot of asexual people, but I, I imagine that that might be a story that pops up for you if your partner mm-hmm. is ace is, oh, they, mm-hmm. they're not into me. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I love oh, that yeah, you said ahead. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh I've I've been partnered to a couple like gray asexuals. And I mean the important thing is if if they acknowledge that they're asexual, that's very important. If if it's not a conversation you've had, sometimes people I think confuse like low libido with asexual. So yeah. if your partner's told you that they are asexual, this is we're going from off that information. Um, this is where like options are great. So the openness of your relationship, you know, does that mean that like the other one of you can seek sex or some kind of other sexual play? Like what does that look like? Strip clubs or swinging or play parties or porn? Um, so I, my biggest advice is like have some conversations with like, okay, we care about each other. We're in a relationship. So ideally, what do we want this relationship to look like? You can write your own mm. rules. Yeah, totally. I love that idea of like acknowledging as well. If you, if you're the partner there is, that isn't asexual, like acknowledging that you have sexual needs, and um, mm-hmm. it's like okay, what what's how we've got to meet those needs? Like, what is the what's the avenue for for meeting those needs? And and you know, I think it's also important to acknowledge that not all asexual people exclusively don't have sex. There are some asexual people that I you know have you know, mm-hmm. from what I understand do have sex or do engage in yeah. some sort of sexual activity. And Gray so ace, that, yeah, or like yeah, and that, so that might ace. be a, a conversation to have as well. So um mm-hmm. there are uh, well, there was something else I wanted to just throw in there as well, but it has slipped my mind. But I, I, I think the, com- the conversations, the communication <laughs> is obviously such a cliche, but it's so it's so key, right? Like if if you're having those conversations, um like that's that's the first step, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Is um, in terms of the biggest piece of advice is like have those conversations about how we're getting our needs met. Um, what mm-hmm. is like what like what does asexuality mean to that partner, right? Things like that, I think, is really mm-hmm. important. I think uh, just real quick, I want to acknowledge. I don't know how often this happens, but I have seen this happen, so I'm just going to mention it. Um, I think sometimes there is this kind of pressure to like stay with someone you love, even if you're not having sex, because the fact that you have desires can be seen as selfish. Mm. Um, and I personally don't think it's fair if someone who knows that they have like low or no sexual interest in their partner to prevent that partner from getting their needs met in another way. I think it's not fair to anybody to stay in a relationship that's not doing it for you, but people care about each other and they want to make things work. So, you know, thinking about options, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, and the way that I kind of talk about that with some of my clients who maybe are like reluctant or recalcitrant to kind of go there is um, I just talk about needs in general. I'm like, look, do you have 
do you have friendship needs, right? Do you have the, like, is there, a, do you have a need to hang out with uh, your male friends or do you have the need to hang out with your family or do you have like these other needs that your partner can't fulfill? And I think it's unfair and unrealistic to expect our partner to fulfill every single one of our needs. It's the reason why we have friends and family mm-hmm. members that we hang out with and people that are outside of our you know, intimate relationship and so if they can kind of accept that if that like that kind of gets them through the door then i'm like okay well, what about your sexual needs as well you know is it unfair and unrealistic to expect your partner to meet all of your sexual needs and mm. um, and then mm-hmm. they're a little bit more um lubed up to have that conversation i'll say <laughs> pun intended yeah, that's all right it. one one more and then we'll take a break uh we could talk for so long about mindfulness advice and you've already given a lot so We'll focus on the end of this question, I think. A listener question for, do you have any mindfulness advice about how I and others can recognize your one's own senses of insecurity and how you react to it during sexual activities? Mm, so yeah. how do you know when something is making you insecure? Uh, that can be I, I tough like to take, in the like moment. A, yeah, I, I like to take a body-based approach to this. So typically if we are experiencing like an insecure or anxious thought, that will manifest in the body as tension and tightness and constriction and contraction. So if you're having sex or even if it's you know sex by yourself and you like are paying attention to what's happening in your body, if you notice in your body that you are starting to maybe tighten up a little bit, or if you're maybe closing down, you know, in terms of like your posture and you're kind of making yourself a little bit smaller, or you're feeling some contraction or constriction in your body, Typically, that is a sign of there maybe being some anxiousness or some insecurities maybe popping up mentally for you. And it could be the, the other way around. You might notice those thoughts first before you notice them in your body, but oftentimes they, they go hand in hand. So like paying attention and noticing is like the first step. And, and that is essentially like a practice of being present. Like the word being present gets thrown around quite a lot in like the sexuality and spirituality communities, but in a, like the most simplest way that I can define what being present is it's like noticing what you're feeling in the moment. And if you are feeling like tight and tense and constricted and contracted, then acknowledge that like firstly go, Hey, I'm actually noticing that I'm, I'm quite tense right now and quite tight. And, and hopefully you, you're feeling comfortable and confident enough to like speak up about that. Or, mm. um, you know, if you've got a partner, like something I, I recommend to, to people in general is like, if you're noticing tension and tightness in your body, that might not even be coming from you. It might be coming from your partner. Like when you're in those intimate spaces, mm. we start to kind of share, you know, body bodily experiences. This is a thing called entrainment and we start to you know, sync up with our partner's body. So if mm-hmm. we're feeling some tension and tightness in our body, we're like, oh, where the hell is that coming from? It might be coming from our partner, but coming from their maybe resistance or reluctance or their own insecurities and, and we're actually picking up on it. So if you notice mm-hmm. that in your body, not only check in with yourself, but also check in with your partner and go, "Hey, I'm noticing some tension here. Is that is that me, or you know, is something okay mm-hmm. with you? Do we need to slow down and like see if you can extend that out to your partner as well?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I will say um, is uh, breathe with me. I tell mm. people that you um, say breathe, slow down, just like that slower you know like Mm. it's really like trying to like guide the ocean (laughs) sometimes yeah 
Um, and that can be really scary. And a lot of people don't have that ability to speak up. So there's lots of ways you can kind of consider how you can play with your communication. I'm also a fan of like tapping and just being like, I need a minute, you know, or like, yeah, yeah. Can we pause? <laughs> like everybody should be able to feel comfortable enough, ideally to stop or pause sex, like anybody of all genders. And I don't think we give men any space to do that. And I, I think we're starting as a culture to get really proactive about teaching women and femmes and queers to do that. Everyone should be able to feel comfortable. And that means women, if you're listening, don't take it super personally if a guy needs to pause or stop because it might be for the same reasons you do sometimes, right? Or similar. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and also like another thing to not take personally as well is if he does get into his head and uh, maybe loses his erection or loses some firmness of, of his erection, that's not a sign that he's not turned on. It's not a sign that he's not into you. It's, it's, um, for, I mean, it, it could be, but it's not usually, um, mm-hmm. it could just be a you know, miscommunication between his brain and his body, right? So arousal on concordance there where his physical body maybe hasn't caught up to his subjective experience of arousal or, or vice versa. Um, but there's like a lot of emphasis that we place on erections, right? And what they mean. And um, and if he doesn't have an erection, it means he's not turned on. That doesn't necessarily mean yeah. that that's true. Or if he doesn't right. have an erection, it means he's not into me. That also doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Um, and so like playing around with, with you know, flaccid penises when they're there can also be a way to um, kind of challenge those stories that we have and those insecurities that we have about, oh, he doesn't have an erection. What does that, what does that mean for me? Am I not hot mm-hmm. enough? Am I not attractive enough? Um, Playing around with a, a, a flaccid penis if it is in the sexual experience can be a really beautiful way to mm-hmm. work through those insecurities and, and challenge those anxieties that we have. Mm-hmm. I masturbate dry plenty of times. Like I don't need to be wet to get off. I masturbate dry all the time. I'll tell partners. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't lick your finger. Watch. No, no, no. We don't need lube. Look, I'll show you. <laughs> like mm. there's many ways. Sometimes you just want the friction. Um, yep. Yeah. So let's take a break. Everybody go check out Cam Fraser. Uh, social media at the Cam Fraser. Uh, I saw you do a video about pleasure mapping today. Mm. So go find that pleasure mapping. I love that topic. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, like slowing down, feeling your body, right? Yeah, totally. Email, yeah, email cam at the cam hyphen Fraser.com and then find me lstanger.com. And thank you to our sponsors. <laughs> Hey, are you going somewhere and you don't want to ruin Airbnb sheets or hotel bedding or one night stands or clients furniture? If you're on your period, if you're a squirter, if you have a healing tattoo, or if you're just trying to be polite, it's more than a sex blanket. Getthelayer.com. It's black. It's discreet. You can get 10% off when you use the code L on getthelair.com. This is great for cam girls, for people traveling, for people dealing with colostomy bags, for people that just don't want to sleep in the wet spot. Getthelair.com. Code L. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I am an ASECT certified sex educator. That is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And I am also a longtime adult entertainer, been nude on the internet since 2005. So we talk about all kinds of self-help and sexuality topics here. Thank you to our listeners on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, all over the place. Uh, please rate and review us on your listening app. That's how more folks can find us.
All right. So Cam Fraser, we are doing the cis men's issues episode. And I thought it would be interesting to ask people, people who date cis men specifically, and I asked them on Twitter, uh, at L Stanger, what is something you want male sex educators and pleasure coaches to teach them, their clients? And someone says, okay, someone says, it would be nice if a typical ladder and escalation of intimacy were not pushed. Mm. It would be nice for them to find intimacy in ways other than penetrative sex. With their friends, too, and not just their romantic partners. (laughs) I feel like we've already spoken to some of this. Uh, Someone else says, uh, teach them that faster isn't always better. Mm. Your prostate is a pleasure point and is not strictly homosexual. Yeah. What did we say earlier? What did you say? Uh, Sex toys are not your competition. They are your friends. Yeah, I just did a whole post about that actually on social media. Yep. Fabulous. Uh, Someone says, everyone experiences pleasure differently. Don't be afraid to ask what your partner enjoys. Mm, Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Let's see. What else we got? Slow down. Learn other erogenous zones other than genitals. Yep. Pleasure mapping is beautiful for that. Yeah. Attempting anal with a partner is not okay if she hasn't consented yet. You can't just slip it in. Oh, Jesus. No, certainly can't. I have specifically said to this, okay, my hard limits I always tell people is please don't spit on me like ever. I personally do not like spit and please do not try to put anything in my butt unless I ask. And I straight up have had people do both those things, not in a while. One one person forgot the spitting they forgot. And I kind of laughed because I was like, ew, okay. And he's like horrified. I'm like, no, no, I realized that was an accident. It's fine. Um, we were both drunk at the time. And also this is why I quit drinking because I have better sex when I don't drink alcohol. Mm. Um, and then the other person, yeah, tried to put a finger in my butt. And I was like, dude, I literally just told you that. And again, we yeah. were drinking now that I reflect on this. <laughs> oh, someone did ask in here, but I don't see it. Maybe I'm not seeing it or maybe they deleted it. They said, why is a man? Te- oh, can men teach men what to do with women? Ask somebody. Ah, I love that question um, because this is something that I, um, that I, yeah, just have some personal philosophies around, right? So I, I work with men, right? Because I am a man. I work with cishet men because I'm a cishet man. And so I know what it's like to have a penis and to, you know, for it to be not working as I would like it to work or, or, you know, the same kind of issues. So I speak to people that have similar lived experiences, but I don't have sex with men. So Mm. I don't know what it's like to be on the receiving end of a man who is not embodied in his sexuality, who is perpetuating all these like heteronormative shitty sexual scripts or mm. vice versa, what it's like to be on the receiving end of a man who's fully embodied in his sexuality and is open and pleasure oriented. So I can't speak into what it's like to be on the other end of that, which is why mm. I uh, encourage a lot of my male clients as well to go and seek out a uh, either a female coach or at least I, I provide them a lot of resources in, in the um, sense of like social media pages of a lot of the mm-hmm. my female colleagues, I suppose, who work uh, – Prominently exclusively with, with women, but they also speak about a lot of like um, men's kind of stuff as well, cishet men stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and so I encourage them to go like, hey, go and speak to 
this person or go and check out this person's content. And in my courses, I, I include some of these women as guest lecturers because they can speak to what it's like to be on the receiving end of a man who has fully embodied his sexuality and who you know is able to be open and, and speak about it. And so, so that's that a really sense. interesting question. I know a lot of, I know a lot, like I don't have a, I don't have a clitoris. I don't have a womb. I don't have, I'm not, uh, I don't identify as, as a woman. So I don't think it's, I mean, this is my mm-hmm. personal philosophy. I don't think it's appropriate or um, I just don't think it's aligned for me to, to work with women because I can't speak into what it is that they're experiencing with lived experience. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's an that interesting question. I, I like the idea of it. Me too. Uh, so I answered, I said, some men will be, this was what I thought. Some men will be more comfortable and receptive to info shared by someone who has peer experience. I said, just like some women will prefer going to women providers slash therapists slash coaches. Um, the person who asked the question said that totally makes sense. I guess the question made me troll a bit because even if they're going to be taught by a man, that man had to first learn it from a woman. I want to see normalization of women teaching men things, especially about interacting with women's bodies. Yeah. Mm. Lots of good points. Um, I'm glad you're teaching and I'm glad we had the conversation. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see a couple more responses to this. I am not great at navigating Twitter. Here we go. <laughs> Someone says, "How uh, teach men how to enjoy anal stimulation without feeling uncomfortable and awkward because it might mm. t- feel too edgy for them. <laughs> oh, someone says, teach them that you can have a relationship with a sex worker and we can still be loyal to them. Loyalty is not the same as ownership. Mm, that's oh, beautiful. That's lovely. Uh, someone says, teach them how to be a trauma-informed partner. Mm. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Uh, teach them that rabbit fucking... Okay. <laughs> this means <laughs> fucking like a rabbit, not fucking a rabbit. <laughs> Isn't the way to get a woman to orgasm. So many haven't taken the time to learn what feels good and assume they know and things seem to go straight to that. I like the the thumping, humping like every once in a while, you know, every once in a while. But yeah, it's definitely not... It's not it's not the norm it's not the the how you start things yeah especially if it's your only way of having sex right it's like eating the same meal every single day for every single meal time for the rest of your life if that's the only thing that you've got then it gets dull pretty quickly and i would get um, sick (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) especially if it's not a meal that your partner likes as well yeah um yeah so that that's um yeah i I love the idea of someone saying before like learning how to slow down and, and and not be so fast and and so something that i talk to men about is um faster versus harder like mm-hmm. this idea that you know it, to because a lot of a lot of the men that i speak to they have partners who want to have some more um intense sex they want the sex to be a bit more um like they want to feel ravished and they want to feel like mm. um that they're being um you know like taken is the, the language that they mm-hmm. use and so i say look in, instead of thinking of this in terms of like oh, i've got to speed up and 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 go faster slow down but penetrate harder and uh and so like just like discerning the difference between that is is important for a lot of guys and i talk about the yeah. art the art and science of thrusting and learning how to thrust better um, is something mm-hmm. that I talk to a lot of guys about. And Thrusting uh, is hard. When I started strapping <laughs> and like pegging, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And then a lot of guys thrust just in and out, right? They're very like mechanical. You got to wiggle like the hips. Piston. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the hip motions and the little upward, upward, you know, there's ways. pelvic yeah. rock as well. Yeah. There's so many other ways of doing it. Uh, those are great. Um Thank you for all of your tips. I have one last question before we go. Um, 
No, I have two. What are some resources, Cam, that have been helpful for your learning? You already named a couple folks. Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll plug a few more people here. Um, there's an incredible book called Not Always in the Mood by Sarah Hunter-Murray, which is uh, like just a great resource. It's, it's well-researched uh, and it draws on a lot of uh, Sarah's research and um, it presents it in a really accessible way for predominantly heterosexual couples who are experiencing like difficulties that are related to like the the man in that relationship. So whether it's like he is watching a lot of porn or whether he is like struggling with his libido or whether he is experiencing some erection issues, like it busts a lot of myths about masculinity and sexuality, which I talk about all the time. And um, it presents it in a really like well-informed and accessible way. It's, it's an incredible resource. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much. No worries. Um, and then lastly, besides all of the tips you gave, do you have any last sex tips for our audience? So this is a uh, very universal tip and it's to lean on your curiosity. So just cultivate your mm. curiosity when it comes to, I mean, it comes to life, but specifically sexuality and sex is like, just be curious about what you can feel and be curious about what you can experience and be curious about your partner's body and, and what it is that they're into and be curious about your desires and your fantasies and be curious about your limitations and your turnoffs and your boundaries as well. Like just mm -hmm. have that sense of curiosity and playfulness and um, that, that desire to want to learn more about your sex and sexuality and pleasure. I think it's like really the cornerstone for a lot of the, the work that I do with people and particularly with men is like to start to just help them develop their curiosity about things and, and to, to really foster that. So that's something that I, I just encourage hmm. people to do in general. I love that you said that. I almost said earlier that I try to be curious when I have sex so that I don't follow scripts. Oh, I love that. Ah, fabulous. Okay, Cam, you were so helpful. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for your work. Uh, find him at the cam fraser and email cam at cam fraser.com and i will see you on the internet my new friend yeah thank you so much <laughs> until next time